I'd like to ask you to turn to John chapter 10. We're going to look at one verse in John 10, verse 16. Three weeks ago, we looked at John 10 as a whole and the shepherd and his sheep, and I want us to look at one side of it, verse 16, with the perspective of foreign missions and even evangelism. John G. Payton, born in 1824 in a rural cottage in Scotland, the eldest of a family of 11 children to parents who richly, deeply loved the Lord and longed for all of their children to serve the Lord for all their days. This man left his home and country at the age of 34 with a young bride of 19, and he traveled to the islands of the South Pacific, now Vanuatu, to, pre, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a tribal people with no written language and no established church. The islands that he was going to were known only for cannibalism, including the slaughtering and the eating of missionaries years previous. It was, other than that, a beachhead of wicked Western merchants who wished to keep the natives in darkness, provoking them to greater violence and darkness. In the early years, John Payton buried his newborn wife and slept over her grave and the baby who died grave in order to keep them from being dug up and eaten by cannibals. He was almost murdered numerous times and was exposed to hunger, nakedness, sword after decades of ministry, which included a second wife who helped him in his service. God used him to see the conversion of masses across those islands. In Aniwa, the island, he saw a whole island coming to Christ after 20 plus years of ministry. His life was given to the conversion of the tribes of these islands, leading to amazing fruit and inspiration to Christians and missionaries for centuries now. Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor in London, invited him to his church many years after being in, being in these islands and said, he is the king of the cannibals, but he meant the, for the king of the cannibals, Jesus Christ. Patton writes at the end of his life that after 41 years of labor on the islands, he said, I claimed Aniwa, this island, for Jesus. And by the grace of God, Aniwa now worships at the Savior's feet. He said that he came to the island to the sound of cannibal drums, and he left with the sound of church bells. Before his death, more than 25 of the 30 islands had the gospel established on those islands. He writes at the end of his biography, his autobiography, he says, there are still five 
great centers of heathenism, meaning non-Christian, untouched, when God sends us missionaries for these, it will only be a question of time coupled with pain and prayer till all the new Hebrides in their babble tongues shall be heard singing the praises of the redeeming love of Jesus. May my blessed Savior spare me to see the full dawn, if not perfect noon, of that happy day. So, when he died and was buried in Scotland, he had this modest memorial put up at the graveyard in Scotland. As you can see on the screen, it's John G. Patton, 1824 to 1907, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. John 10, 16. This is my text this morning. Faith Church of Linden supports nine missionary families. Seven of them are active, two of them are retired. We have the Brownses and the Jones. There's some pictures that you'll see here. Our missionaries we supported many years who are now home off the field but don't have much retirement investment, so we're helping them. We continue to pray for and support them. The following, then we have these missionaries. We have Chris and Katie Bruno in the Hawaiian Islands for the support of raising up pastors to take the gospel not only to those islands but to the South Pacific. Tom and Julie Steller who live in Minneapolis but go to Cameroon many times a year. We'll hear from him an update this Wednesday night. Timothy and Abby DeVee who are headed to Cameroon hopefully at the beginning of next year to give themselves into French Africa ministry for the sake of the gospel. Brian and Heather McPhail Fossey we call them the Max, as they are in Cameroon helping train up and see church planting and seeing pastors raised up for the sake of the gospel in Cameroon. Kel and Deb McMaster, who we've supported for many decades, as they continue to minister in different parts of Brazil, church planting and pastoring. Kyle and Heather Farron who are in Portugal right now, but minister to all the missionaries that are part of their mission agency in Europe. Mike and June Bradley, who are church planting and pastoring in England. Why do they go somewhere else? And why should we give significant money to send them when the needs are all around us? I mean, I mean, come on, pastor, we know that those around us, there are a lot of non-Christians in my work and in my school, you could say to me, in my neighborhood. I'd like to ask, how can the missionaries you just saw on the screen go, isolating themselves from family, some grandchildren and great-grandchildren, going away to a distant land and giving a significant portion of their life and energy, often in some difficult, very difficult, trying circumstances. How can these missionaries go? How can we go if God calls us, having the courage, zeal, and confidence that that man John Patton that I just began a story with had? Now, here's the text that I want us to focus on this morning. You see it on the screen. 
And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Three weeks ago, I preached on John 10. In that message, I said, I said, faith church, brothers and sisters in Christ, stare at this text, and I want you to see the voice Really hear, but see that there's a voice of the shepherd, and that shepherd calls and he gathers. And there's the care of the shepherd. He provides abundantly. He says, I will give you life and life abundantly. And there's the hand of the shepherd that protects. If he is holding on to you, you have eternal life. And no one will pluck you from his hand or the father's hand. And then there's the death of the shepherd. The passage I just read that's up on the screen, right before, if you looked at your Bibles, and right after, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd that lays down his life for my sheep. And then after he says, I lay my life, no one else lays it down, I lay it on my own voluntary accord, and I take it up again. I have that authority. The death of the shepherd shows that he's the real shepherd and he fulfills God's promises. And then we just finished with the sheep of the good shepherd. God's sheep, Jesus' sheep, they know the shepherd. They hear the shepherd. They follow the shepherd. I, I ask you this morning... Are you his sheep? Are you true sheep? Oh, there's a lot of people out there in this world that profess to be Christians that were just as so useless sometimes, right? I mean, just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean anything. What about Christ follower? Here I want to use the phrase, Jesus is true sheep. According to this passage, true sheep hear Jesus' voice. They hear him, they obey him, they follow him. Jesus knows them and and they know Jesus. If you are a true sheep of God, of Jesus, Jesus has called you to follow him. And you followed him by repenting of your sins and believing in his name And you came to the cross of Jesus Christ and realized that you can't take away your sins, but Jesus takes away your sins. And you asked him to take away your sins and you surrendered and gave yourself to Jesus that he, not you, is in charge of your life. A true sheep knows that the good shepherd died for them. He laid down his life and took it up again, raising from the dead, and he is now your life. That's what a true sheep is. And all true sheep are true Christians, and all true sheep who are true Christians are Christ followers, and they are true sheep that know and hear Jesus' voice, and they follow him, and they will have eternal life starting now. John 17 says, this is eternal life, that you know him. 
and you have the care forever of the shepherd. I just hope you sit here this morning and think, I'm, I am a true sheep, praise God, and I have the care of the shepherd. Now, I want to say this this morning with verse 6 in mind and with our missions focus in mind and our missionaries in mind and our mission in mind. This church exists to spread the gospel not only in this community, but to the world. We as Christians, individually and as a church, are called to take this message elsewhere. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. True sheep, here's the point, true sheep should engage in the pursuit of other sheep, okay? True sheep, if you're a true sheep, you must live your lives engaging in the pursuit of what I'm going to call other sheep, because that's the words that Jesus uses in verse 16. Other sheep. You have other sheep in your family, in your community, maybe in your school, maybe on, in, in your work, in your neighborhood, that I want to talk to you about this morning. True sheep evangelize. They take the good news of Jesus and they share it with those who are lost with the goal of seeing them accept the news and surrender their lives to Jesus. Sometimes they feel very inadequate and their evangelism is a prayerfulness and an inviting them to someone else at this church or in your life that they would, but they're so concerned because there's other sheep out there that need to come to Christ. True sheep care about global missions. Global missions is taking the word of Jesus Christ, not just to America, but to all the nations of the world. True sheep give, so this happens. They give to their church, they give to missions, they give to missionaries, they pray, and they go. Not all of them are called to go, but they but a lot of them will go because God calls them to go. And they will support those who are going and they will invite others to Jesus while they're doing so and they will, pursue, they will partner together for the pursuit of other sheep. So let's look at this text, verse 16. I'm gonna read it again. I, I pray that verse 16 would ring in your heart so that we would be the kind of people that this passage means so much to us in the implications of this passage, that when we die and are buried in Linden or somewhere else, it would make sense for us to put this on our gravestone because we live out the mission of this verse. I have other sheep, Jesus says, that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. I want to give you four points briefly. One, the hopeful promise of other sheep. The hopeful promise of other sheep. See that opening phrase? And I have other sheep that are not of his fold. What does Jesus mean here? The early verses tell us that Jesus is the shepherd and he's coming, in verses one through five, he says, I go to the fold where there's all different kinds of sheep, some that are not my sheep. 
There are other sheep. And when I go into that fold, I say, sheep that know me and are mine, come to me. And those that know Jesus and come to him, come to him, and he gathers them. And he's saying, among the household of Israel, I have come, and I will go, and I am bringing out. And that's why he's explaining why there are some people that are following Jesus and excited about who he is. He really is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And there's some going, no way, let's kill him, let's arrest him, let's get him off the streets. He's causing problems. The Romans might come and fight against us. Let's get rid of him. And his explanation is saying, there are sheep and they'll hear my voice. Those who are really believe are, are really my sheep. And he says here, there are other sheep. And what I believe that he means is there are Gentiles. There are non-Jews. And there are people, not just now, but down the road, like in 2023, that are other sheep that right now are not of Jesus' fold, that Jesus must bring them also, and they will listen to Jesus' voice, and there'll be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus was about to die in a short amount of time when saying these things. And yet he knew there were other sheep that was going ha- to be still hear his voice. Here he sh- God so loved the world, not just the new Jewish nation, but the whole world, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus says, I have other sheep. I want us to let that sink in. There, Jesus says, I have other sheep. And I believe that what that can mean for us today, it meant for Jesus' time, the Gentiles, non-Jews, but I also think it meant in generations later, other sheep who have not yet come to him. And for us to sit here and go, there are other sheep out there. There are other sheep in Flint and in the city that I live in, name it. There are other sheep, and Jesus must bring them also, and they will hear his voice, and there'll be one flock and one shepherd. Unless you are Jewish, I wonder if there's anyone here that is of Jewish descent. Is there any? If you do, raise your hand. Praise God. Okay, there is, there's none in this room. That didn't surprise me. So I was going to say, unless you're Jewish, which none of us are by ethnicity, this verse is a promise that you got included. If you are a true sheep today, thank God Jesus said, I have other sheep, right? And we're worshiping. The the nations are worshiping. China, in spite of persecution, there's churches popping up all over China. There's churches in in the Palestinian regions of true Christians that worship Jesus Christ. There's churches in Iran. There's churches in the most persecuted parts of the world. And they're worshiping Jesus Christ because Jesus, Jesus said, I have other sheep and I must get them and they will hear me and there'll be one flock and one shepherd. First consider what that means for you. If you're saved and if you have your sins forgiven, praise God he had other sheep. This verse was in the Bible. This reality was in this world by God in his grace. 
Second, consider the promise of Jesus and what it means for your family and what your neighbors and your community and world. We should have a type of faith. I believe John Patton, who went to the New Hebrides Islands, had this mindset. This is in here. He has sheep that are not of his fold, and Jesus plans to go find them. Now, I'm going to get to the fourth point. This is a cheater already. First point four is about our responsibility. The way Jesus' voice goes out is through his people, but he has other sheep. We do not know in your workplace or in your neighborhood or in your school, we don't know who are the sheep in which he calls and will ultimately save. It is only the grace of God why you and I ever got saved. We don't know who he will call, but it is not our job to first determine who are his sheep and then invite them to the fold. We, We know that Jesus plans to gather the sheep. They're all over the world. He has promised this, and we share the news that Jesus is the atoning and saving sacrifice for us and for the sins of all who come and repent and believe on him. And if they will receive him, you can be his sheep forever and his care will be upon you forever. There are other sheep in the tribes of Africa. There are other sheep in the cities and towns of the United States. There are other sheep that are not yet of his fold What a hopeful prospect. It reminds me of Acts 18 when Paul was being persecuted and dealing with affliction in many ways and this gospel was spreading in Corinth and Macedonia and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, he says, don't be afraid in the midst of all this opposition, but go on speaking and don't be silent. This is what Jesus says to Paul. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he's saying, I have people here in this city that I'm going to call out and save, I don't, and, and I'm going to do it. Okay, number one, let's go after a mission of pursuing other sheep, because there is a great hopeful promise in this passage, there's other sheep out there. Number two, let us be encouraged by... Number two, the sovereign gathering of other sheep. Do you see the sovereign gathering of other sheep? Sovereign meaning there is someone outside of us, the powerful hand of God who's in control. He gathers the sheep. Jesus says, I must bring them also. This is, who does the bringing here? Jesus does. I must bring them also. And it says, and they will listen to me. He doesn't say, I hope they'll listen to me, and I hope they cooperate with their free will to come and listen to me. He doesn't say that. Jesus says, I must bring them also. Jesus has other sheep, and he must bring them, and this is the sovereign work of God. He brings them to faith. He brings them to faith, taking the initiative. Like Jesus took the initiative to the blind man in John chapter 9, And he opens his eyes. That man wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus came and interrupted his life and surprised him with joy and light. Lazarus, we'll see in the next chapter next week, is dead as a doornail in the grave four days. He wasn't looking for a rescuer anymore. 
And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out a picture of our salvation. For by grace, you have been saved, brother and sister. If you are a sheep, it was not of your own doing, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is not one of us could ever say, I was smart enough. I was lucky enough. I was wise enough and righteous enough to choose Jesus. None of us would do that. It was all the grace of God. You and I are his sheep because at a human level, we did respond. Maybe it was to your parents' invitation to the gospel or a Sunday school teacher or camp or a Billy Graham revival, a youth group, whatever it might be, or in church here. At a human level, we responded with, Jesus is real. My soul is eternal. I'll go to hell or heaven. I need a savior to cleanse me from my sins. He really is the real savior of the world. I need him. He rose from the dead. Why would I look to anything else? He is real. I turn away from my sins. I accept him. I want to follow him now. From a human level, that is what we do. We follow. But we would never have seen him as he really is in order to follow him. We'd never see ourselves as a sinner in such a deep need like we have unless he would convict and work in our hearts. We never would have followed him unless he powerfully called and drew us to himself in a way that we could not, would not, but would only resist. And we could go to John chapter 6, and we could listen to what Jesus says about those that are given to him. And John 6 is the backstory of the sheep, and he calls, that he calls and gathers, and he says, Jesus says these words in chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. If you came to Jesus, it's only because the Father drew him, according to what Jesus says. And he says, and everyone who comes and I dr- the Father draws, I will raise him up on that last day. I came to Jesus when I was a young boy and I was saved. I repented and I believed. I had f- and have faith alive in me. But this verse that I just read from John 6, 44, means that I would not have done it unless the Father drew me. And all who come and are drawn will be raised at the last day. Or you could go to John 6, 65, where Jesus said, in the midst of all this unbelief, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it is granted by my Father. What? In verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There are sheep given by the Father, drawn by the Father, And they will come because of the drawing power of God. As you read the biography of John Patton, you see over and over again, as he preaches the gospel in the island of Aniwa, people coming, tribal leaders and chiefs coming from their murderous ways and repenting and miraculously coming to Jesus Christ. He says, if you want to see true power, you see God's converting work change hearts in this island, and I'll show you real power. How God's sovereignty in saving you, our neighbors, the people in Aniwa and in Africa and whatever country you're going to name, including your own community. How God's sovereignty and man's responsibility to choose 
and not be robots. How that works, I'm not sure, but it's a beautiful biblical truth that God is sovereign and he gathers and we follow and we share and invite to everyone and we say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you call upon him, he will give you eternal life. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life and he will never He will never cast you out. Let me encourage you, dear friend. There are a lot of sheep out there. Maybe you're one that's not yet one of his sheep, but I welcome you to the fold this morning. Let me encourage you. There are a lot of sheep out there. He will bring them to himself, and they will hear, and they will follow according to this verse. Let it cause us have great cheer and zeal. But here, let me give you the third point that I want you to see. Not only do we see this hopeful promise that there are other sheep and that God is so- Jesus is sovereign. Now he says, I'm going to bring them. But third, I want you to see the assured unity and care with the other sheep. The assured unity and care with the other sheep. He says, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. That's the glorious outcome, promise. He says, I'm going to do something. I have this plan and I'm going to bring and I'm going to make one fold, one flock, one, and there'll be one shepherd. How can we be sure? The sovereign king of the universe, Jesus Christ, who says, I will lay down my life and I will lift it up again. He says, I'm going to do this. Oh, that we would consider what God wants us to do and be so certain that he's going to do what he said he did going to do. And he says this in verse 16, there will be one flock and there'll be one shepherd. He will bring sheep from the Gentiles and Jews and make them one people. You can read of that at the last part of Ephesians chapter two, Jesus in his body and with his blood, he broke down the hostility that we had towards God so we could be forgiven and towards each other so that we could be united as one people, not divided by race, but one people in Christ Jesus. This great shepherd promises to do that. This great shepherd who we sang, is he worthy? Some, the revelation in Revelation chapter five, a picture of worthy are you to take up the scroll and seals for you were slain, Jesus, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation so that they would come together as one flock under one shepherd and worship him forever. Jesus is that shepherd. Ezekiel 34, 11 through 17 says that he will search for his sheep and he will seek them out. And as a shepherd seeks out the flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places they've been scattered. He says, I will feed them, verse 14, with good pasture on the mountain heights and Israel will be grazing land. He says, as for you, my flock, thus says the Lord, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between ram and male goats. How does the shepherd bring his unity and care? He lays down his life. He gives himself for the sheep. And the last thing I want us to see, so this, this, this verse stamped on a gravestone of a man who gave his life to missions. They said, what verse do we put? I don't know if he said in his will. Would you put that on my gravestone? Or 
Others said, this just fits because this is what he lived. He must have believed this. This must have been something that he actually took as real, as truth. And he, he lived out the implications. I have other sheep that are not of my fold, of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. The fourth point, the last point I want you to see, is it's not in this text, but it's an implication of this text. The urgent responsibility to pursue other sheep. The reality that Jesus is going to gather, that Jesus will call them and they'll hear them and there'll be one flock and one shepherd, doesn't mean we sit there and go, great, let's get our popcorn and let's watch King Jesus do his work. That's what, not what sheep do. That's not what followers of Jesus do. They read the scriptures and they say, do you see it? Let's read the rest of the gospel of John. Let's read the book of Acts. Let's read the letters of the New Testament and say, what? The way he gathers and the way he calls is by simple, broken, sinning, but saved people like you and me all about this message with an urgent responsibility to pursue other sheep, knowing Jesus says there are other sheep. We could go so many places, but in Acts 17, Jesus is praying. At the end, he's going to go and be arrested very soon in John 17. And he says in verse 18, as I sent you into the world, as you sent me into the world, he says to the Father, so I have sent them into the world, my disciples. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they would be sanctified to the truth. And he says, and he, this is his praying, I do not ask for these disciples only, but for all who will believe in me through their word. God plans to call other sheep. Jesus plans to gather other sheep through sheep. He plans to call sheep to the nations of the world through people like you and me. And people like you and me who pray for people like you and me who go. And people like you and me who go because they sit in church or read their Bibles or read missionary biographies and they go, if not me, who? Life is short. Eternity is forever. There are other sheep out there. I am really jealous for my Savior and my Lord that he get all his sheep and I'm going to go after them. You say, well, I thought God's sovereign about it. Yeah, and he's sovereign over right now is convicting your hearts to be more burdened about it than you ever were. And so they read in their Bibles passages like Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all the nations. Or Acts 1, 8 but you disciples will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Or in Acts 26, when God called Paul, he says, this is what God, Jesus did for me. He delivered me up and saved me. He said, so that I would go to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the other sheep, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. 
Jesus said, I have other sheep. If you're true sheep, you praise God for that phrase because that means your salvation. If you are true sheep, this is not just a historic obituary of your spiritual life. This is a calling on your life. I have other sheep that are not of his fold. True followers go, where are they? They're all around me. I I need to think that way at least. I need to pray that way. I pray for every neighbor that I know is not saved. Every family member that I know is not saved. Every single person in our work or fellow student who are not saved, I am to pray for them and I am called to, to pursue them that they might truly be brought in and hear Jesus's voice. That God would help us at Faith Church. If we're going to be a faithful church now and in the next 10 to 20 to 30 years, if the Lord gives us that, it will mean that we will be bigger givers and less American like spenders at home, and we will be giving strategically because we love this mission. We will have some of the current adults going to the mission field, prayerfully seeking wisdom and guidance, but but making a, a change in their life and seeking to raise support to go and train themselves to be there. We will have parents praying for their children like the parents of John Patton, whose dad prayed earnestly that he himself could go to take the gospel to the nations, and God didn't put that on his life. He just had a a blue-collar job in his town and in his home, but he prayed that all his children will, and God sent his son. We would pray like them that God would send our children. I want to end with John Patton. At the end of his missionary account, he writes this long biography. It's Some of it's very heavy and hard to read, and a lot of it is so good. And he writes this at the end. Oh, that I had my life to begin again. I would consecrate it anew to Jesus in seeking the conversion of the remaining cannibals in the New Hebrides. But since that may not be, may he help me to use every moment and every power still left to me to carry forth the uttermost forward to the uttermost, that beloved work. Doubtless, those poor degraded savages are a part of the Redeemer's inheritance. His mindset is, there are many of out there that they're part of the inheritance that Jesus purchased when he died on the cross. That's what motivates me. That's the investment I'm into, and not the American dream. And he says, given to Jesus in the Father's eternal covenant, and thousands of them are destined through us to sing the praise and glory and joy in a heavenly world. And should the record of my broken life lead anyone to consecrate himself to mission work at home or abroad, that he may win souls for Jesus, 
Or should he even deepen the missionary spirit of those who already know and serve the Redeemer of us all for this also and for all through which he has led me by his loving, gracious guidance, I shall unto the endless ages of eternity bless and adore my beloved Master and Savior and Lord to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would please... Help us to locally and globally, but first internally, apply John 10, 16. God, if there's anyone here that has not heard his voice and followed him, I pray that through another sermon or this one, the words that they heard about the gospel would would come to them is uniquely true now, and they would be saved. God, I pray that you would help the most of us here who are true sheep, but that might not be all, but most of us who are true sheep. I pray that we would be so grateful that Jesus said something about other sheep. Thank you, Father, for giving us to Jesus and that Jesus brought us to himself and you will never pluck us from your hand. No one will pluck us from your or Jesus' hand. Now, God, I pray that you'd move the membership of Faith Church, the attenders of Faith Church, the pastors of Faith Church and elders, the deacons, wives and the children, the teenagers. Help us to not trifle. Help us to not live our lives just collecting toys, collecting things, building barns and filling them and then leaving them rusty and moth-eaten when we are called to eternal investment. Oh God, please do that in our hearts. I pray that you do a stirring way beyond just a, a nice little sermon this morning. I pray that you'd stir in our hearts towards follow through to give and to pray, to reach to our missionaries as we talked about in Sunday school, to, to pursue other sheep in our community. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.